0: Okay, we're live. Welcome. Thanks for joining. I'm Peter Down. I'm here on call-in every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. If you want to ask a question, download the call-in app, or you can just listen on any device. So I've titled this uh, talk, Remember COVID? Because it seems like our government has forgotten that this virus is still killing tens of thousands of people every month. COVID has killed nearly a million people in America by official estimates, and some say the number is higher. Yet somehow, the politicians of both ruling parties have decided the pandemic is over. And we know why, right? Because to these political officials, money and politics are more important than human lives, and they're not even hiding it. There's an NBC reporter on the day of uh, Joe Biden's State of the Union speech tweeted uh, an article that said, and I'm reading, in a recent memo, Biden's polling firm had some advice for Democrats. Declare victory against COVID and stop talking about restrictions or you'll lose the election. Close quote. And of course, Democrats you know, do everything by pollsters and focus groups. So just like Republicans, they've decided it's not politically expedient to talk about coronavirus anymore. And I think about Republicans like uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, right-wing extremist, who berated students, I'm not sure if you all saw this clip, berated students for wearing masks and called it COVID theater. Well, it's not theater to a million dead people and their loved ones, asshole. From the early days of the pandemic, and I've talked about this a lot, obviously capitalism was going to come first, right? So started with Trump and the GOP. They made sure the billionaires kept getting richer. And then Biden and Dems picked up exactly where the Republicans left off. And the numbers don't lie. By every measure, every month or two, an article comes out that the super rich, the ultra wealthy have pocketed trillions of dollars since 2020. Well, of course, the working class continues to struggle. And that's how the system works, right? How many headlines? I'm sure you all have seen headlines where some CEOs quoted saying, the pandemic is great for business. Death, the death cult. And meanwhile, our government could barely send a couple of paltry checks to people. And remember when Biden first came into office, he famously uh, shortchanged people by six hundred dollars, right, and tried to tell us that fourteen hundred dollars was actually two thousand dollars—pure gaslighting. And then, when they sent out checks, Democrats claimed to have cut child poverty in half—more propaganda, which turn, turned out to be utter BS because now child poverty is spiking up higher than ever. And you know, you see you see these billionaires flying off into space. The pandemic made billionaires so much money they decided to become astronauts. They didn't even know what to do with all this money. So children are starving, and they're all flying into space in their phallic rocket ships. It's pathetic. I I just the callousness over the mass death is just really difficult to process, and the and the selfish unwillingness to even wear a mask. You know, you think about the number, you think about a million people and their families their loved ones, and, and and all the pain and suffering and, and some of the horrible ways in which this virus kills. It chokes you to death. Horrible, horrible. People not able to say goodbye to their loved ones. How can we just move on past it like it, like it hasn't even happened? In, in May 2020, the New York Times ran a front-page story on the incalculable loss, they called it, of 100,000 Americans dying from COVID-19. And a year later, 600,000 white flies were planted on the National Mall to memorialize victims. That's when we, some, some government were still pretending that they cared. But a year later, you know, we're more than two years into it, not so much. The, the New York Times recently ran a headline that was below the fault, but not even important enough to be at the top. And this was the title, 900,000 deaths, but many Americans move on. How do you you don't move on from a catastrophe like this? Not if you have a conscience. You honor the dead, you remember them, and you take measures to prevent further suffering, like wearing a mask, for example. Let alone all the other mitigation measures that we'll that we'll talk about tonight. And it just it boggles my mind. I, I you know we, we can talk about vaccines and vaccine mandates and on and on, on, but just a mask. How onerous is it to wear a mask in a global pandemic? I mean, is that too much of a sacrifice to ask? I grew up in a war. I had to dodge sniper fire to get a loaf of bread to eat. We had no electricity, no running water. People would donate blood. People would donate blood to their opponents, to their enemies, to keep them alive. Human sacrifice. Putting on a mask is too much for most Americans, and masks work. Good masks work. Not so much cloth masks, but this is from the CDC. I think this is important. Precautions, and this is not even about coronavirus. This is about the flu. This is the quote. Precautions taken to fight the COVID-19 pandemic, including wearing masks and distancing, are likely the major reason for a steep decline of flu cases in the U.S., according to experts. The flu has, uh, how many, this is anecdotal, of course, I have not had a cold or a flu in two years because I mask, I social distance, and of course, I'm triple vaccinated against COVID too. So it's common sense, of course, if we're stopping the flu, that we're going to be stopping a virus like like COVID-19. Here's another report from the CDC. Wearing any kind of mask indoors is associated with significantly better protection from the virus with high-quality N95 and K95 masks, providing the best chance of avoiding infections. Infection. That's according to the CDC. Now, again, our government should send high-quality masks to every single citizen. Was that too much to ask? Send people monthly stipend and masks and tests. But that was too much to ask, of course, because the billionaires need the money and the resources. So, what? What is it? What is the reason for it? It's really just pure selfishness. And it's also duopoly propaganda, because now our government is telling us we're moving past it. Republicans have been saying it all along. The capitalism was just right up front. Send the workers to work, send the kids to school, no matter what. And Democrats played the part of, oh, we're the party of science. But of course, that's utter BS too, because they've done exactly what the Republicans have done from very early on. They were minimizing the virus and that this is one thing that just drives me, you know, really, really frustrates me that, you know, early on, the Biden administration came in and was pushing for kids to go back to school and was saying, oh, we can take our masks off now. But then they're blaming anti-vaxxers for minimizing the vaccine. You can't on the one hand say we're taking off our masks and we're by Independence Day, we're going to be independent of the virus and then turn around and get angry at anti-vaxxers for also minimizing the virus is the same behavior. I think of, in my state, the Democratic governor in the worst of the Omicron wave in January, and I know some people say Omicron, some say Omicron, I say Omicron, in the worst of the January wave, categorically refused to allow schools to even just give a remote learning option. I'm not saying to put all kids back to the remote and we can talk about you know, mental health of children being in school or out of school, but We were talking about a massive spike in the virus and Democratic governor would not allow, this came from the top town, would not allow a remote option. And this is who I think about. I think about victims of long COVID. I think about older people. I think about the disabled. I think about the immune compromised. I think about those who cannot get vaccinated. There are vulnerable populations. It is our job to protect them. It's our job to protect them. How selfish is this country where we can't think about those who are most vulnerable among us? If it just takes me wearing an N95 mask and to distance and to do testing and, if, and to get vaccinated and if I'm not feeling well to stay away and for our government to provide resources and services, to allow people to take that time off and to do contact tracing and all the various ways that we can mitigate this virus. But no, the system's the attitude right now is just you all go, those who die die, those who get sick, those who get long COVID, the disabled, the immune compromised, just suffer and die. Because the billionaires have to keep pocketing the money. We need to play politics, and politics and money come over lives. So, you know, let me, let me, let me open it up here. I see uh Hey, Josh, do you want to, do you want to jump in and, uh, unmute?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, just good to be here. First of all, um, it's just so important to talk about this. I think one of some of the framing you gave that makes it clear how important it is, uh, in my opinion is, um, that really dramatic striking New York times cover at a hundred thousand deaths, which, you know, it should have been it's a huge, huge frightening figure. Um, uh, and then, but compare that to 900,000 below the fold, and um, just such a different story. And, um, you know, there is a lot of contention. You kind of alluded to, you know, contention about what should we do with schools and children and mandates. But I think one thing that, that I think does unite a lot of people on the left is just our understanding that there is something flawed with our culture. There's something deeply uh, troubling in our culture. Um that leads to uh, or it's one of the things that leads to something like a, a small mask being considered a an oppressive you know infringement on your freedom um so what is it in, in u s culture um and you know it's, it's probably not exclusive to the u s but there's something especially some confluence of um is it settler colonialism mixed with capitalism mixed with racism and just the way these things combine here to, um, this idea of victimhood and un- unwillingness to sacrifice for one another. Um, <laughs> as if again, yeah, as if masks are actually a sacrifice, but, uh, yeah. So I would love to hear what people have to say about, um, the political, but also these deep, um, cultural roots that have manifested in, that have just revealed just how harmful they are in this pandemic. And of course they've manifested in tons of other ways, but I think the pandemic is maybe, is one of the clearest illustrations that there's just something really, really troubling. So um, yeah, uh, excellent,
0: excellent points. I mean, you, you raised the point, Josh, about uh, freedom and that's such a loaded term. and, And in many ways, such a meaningless term in the ways that it's used, because I consider it freedom to have the capability to protect a disabled or immune compromised person. That's freedom to me, the freedom to help and to be a good citizen. So this notion that it's some sort of an infringement on rights for us to all take care of one another and help one another is an absurd sort of distortion of the concept of freedom. And look, I, I tweeted the other day that I am not in favor of universal across the board vaccine mandates for all adults. And I think, you know, people, some people got angry at me and I think uh, maybe I should have been clearer. So here's an opportunity. What I mean is there may be situations in which a person does not want to get vaccinated, but if we have an entire broad range of mitigation measures in place and we honor it, all of us working together, then I think we, we could potentially have situations in which there's not a universal vaccine mandate for all adults. However, there will be situations, whether people who work in hospitals, mandated vaccines for kids, you know, for, 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 for my kid. There are all sorts of vaccines they have to take to go to school. So I was sort of specifically referring to that in, in, in the narrow sense of everybody must get vaccinated. But I think there are going to be a lot of circumstances in which there should be a requirement for a vaccine. And it's, and it's, it's complicated, right? It's a complicated situation. But the, the bottom line is, the government's approach. And I say government, I mean the duopoly. I mean both ruling parties across the board at the local level, state level, federal level. Across the board, there's this mindset of we're leaving this pandemic behind us and whatever. You die, you die. So that's really the the starting point of the problem: miseducation of the public and the pandering to, to, to the worst conspiracy theories. But you know what? Let me let me throw it over to Jason. Hey, my friend you want to unmute?
2: Hey, Peter. Um, and I just want to say to Josh, I, I, I love your uh, posts on Twitter. <laughs> follow your account. You can do some great stuff there. I mean, really, uh, uh, uh Nails some points home pretty. I, I second.
0: I second. Um,
2: so, uh, you know, I, I think my perspective on this is we're, as we're kind of talking about, why don't people take responsibility? Listen, I mean, we're, we're living in End stage capitalism it 's hyper capitalism uh, it 's clear that our government does not care about us, so how is where 's the example for us to take care of each other and I think you know i I grew up uh, as you know Peter in England, um, and I think this is probably true for a lot of people who grow up in other places where there 's a lot uh, more societal uh, emphasis on on really taking care of each other and taking care of vulnerable people and that just you know that exists in such a limited way in America, and so the reaction of um, you know it's it's like it's like America is an adolescent country that really just you know has that attitude of like oh you can't tell me what to do I mean that's the way I'm I'm really feeling about things right now, and we just had the Congressional Budget Office. Um, uh, Release uh, re- their their analysis of Medicare for all. And they say, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna help a lot of people, and it's gonna save us a lot of money. And and we still can't get uh, even even Democrats. We can't get Democrats to to push this thing. And imagine where we'd be in this country if if at the outset of this pandemic, uh, everybody was able to go get tested. Everybody was able to go get the mask they needed. Um, you know, but that's that's where we are. And and when we talk about Things like Medicare for all. There's, you know, even from union people uh, are saying, you know, well, I want to protect my health insurance. I don't care about anybody else. We fought for 30 years, and I get it. I get it. Uh, bargaining for health insurance is 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 a terrible thing to have to do. And those bargain insurance plans are are substantially better what, than than what non bargain plans are, um, because I've been on both sides of it. And 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 so, you know, we put people we pit people against each other in this country just kind of as a matter of course. Um, And we don't have a government that we can trust. I mean, I I was I was just and I have friends who are nurses, you know, and and uh, uh, I just had a nurse who shared with me um, uh, an article uh, that suggests that housing and human services is concealing COVID nineteen um, hospital data. Like when they when they talk about hospital capacity, um, they're trying to promote things where we say, "Oh, the the hospital capacity is not as bad as people are saying." Well, the nurses are saying. Yeah, it's terrible here. You know, we're loaded up. 95% of our patients uh are, are in our ICUs are are unvaccinated COVID patients. They're taking beds away from from other, you know, not that we don't want to treat them. Not not saying anything like that, but you know, uh, if they weren't in that position, we'd be able to use these beds uh, for people who need, you know, other uh, life-saving treatments that we need to take care of. So there is there is this general selfishness of, "Oh, I'm not going to do this thing and I'm not going to get my my vaccine." And, and I. I don't care. But it really does impact the system. And the nurses are saying that it does. And now we've got some evidence um, that that housing and human services uh, is sort of um, overstating what our hospital capacity is, because what what they're basing their bed numbers are is like, you know, in any of, you know, in the worst case scenario, what could you scrape up a space to use for patients? Um, and they're going with those numbers rather than, you know, what are realistic uh, hospital ICU beds. So, you know, our, our culture is an absolute mess, um, you know, and I don't, I don't know what the fix is except to just keep identifying that the people we keep electing um, are not taking care of us, the policies that they are supporting, the people that they're taking money from. You know, it's all about uh, making uh, the wealthy wealthier and and just everybody else be damned. And and we're falling apart because of it.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. You're right, Jason. And you raise an important point. You know, this is something that I that I talk about that the Democrats in terms of Democratic officials and their supporters and liberals in general adopted this mantra of this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And it is absolutely true that unvaccinated people uh, constitute a much, you know, a, the large majority of people are dying and getting severely ill from this virus. At the same time, though, calling it a pandemic of the unvaccinated is a disgusting and irresponsible sort of um uh, dodge really of responsibility for having no other mitigation measures in place other than vaccines. I mean, the Biden administration has presided over far more deaths than Trump, and they've had vaccines. And to say this is only because this is only the fault of anti-vaxxers, and to just walk away from all the other mitigation measures that they did not institute—they knew there was going to be resistance. Now, of course, there are GOP. Is, should be criminally liable for pushing their voters and their base to oppose vaccines. when it was trump who, who, who was president when the vaccines were developed, you'd think that they would say, "Oh, you know Trump created the vaccines. let's all take it." but the fact is this is a pandemic where people who are vaccinated and boosted are getting sick and going to hospitals where immune compromised and disabled and older adults and even children who are getting long COVID. People are hospitalized and dying who are triple vaccinated. So it's a pandemic of the whole world and the whole country. And to just sort of just, you know, just recklessly blame one group of people who oppose vaccines, I think is, is uh, has been really a terrible, terrible uh, sort of form of propaganda, because what it does is. It makes Democrats as well completely callous to the suffering of those who may be fully vaccinated and getting sick. So at every, at every level, you're right, Jason, at every level, people, you know, you say end-stage capitalism, right? We're in a society of selfishness and people who are not caring. Now, there are some wonderful people out there. You know, Leela was a nurse. Her whole family um, are nurses. So the amount of work and the and the sacrifice that nurses and healthcare professionals and doctors, et cetera, and hospital workers have done during the past two years is just immeasurable. And we owe them so much gratitude. Let me jump to uh, to Stephanie, and then I'll go to uh, Professor Zenkis. Uh, Stephanie, do, do you want to unmute and wave?
3: Hi, everybody. Um, thanks, Peter. Um, so, I was a commercial architect, and my husband is a molecular geneticist who has friends at the CDC and access to published data. So very early on in the pandemic, we knew that this was airborne, and we were wearing masks when Dr. Fauci was telling people not to. And so what I I wanted to talk about just very briefly is the importance of air filtration, because. What the what the Trump or the Biden administration could have done is to have allocated some portion of money out of the military budget, because this is defense, for updating or upgrading or supplementing air filtration in rooms. And that would have helped deal with the people who were fighting the vaccine very early on um, because they were there and you you just weren't going to reason with them. Um, and you weren't going to get them to wear a mask, you weren't going to get them to vaccinated. And so by simply f- moving the air around the room and filtering that air, it drastically reduces the amount of virus that is in the air. And essentially, in order to get infected, you have to be exposed to these globs of floating virus, and you have to take in a certain amount of them. and the unvaccinated unmasked need fewer to get infected. And the the masked and vaccinated um I'm sorry, the unvaccinated unmasked yeah, need fewer. And the if you're vaccinated and masked, sorry. Yeah, you need much more. You, you need much yeah, more you virus. Need a lot more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, one of the things that that could have been done very early on to to really mitigated this was to get some HEPA filters in in rooms, in rooms where classrooms, in in meeting rooms, in rooms where people were congregating. And they just they just kept saying, "No, we're we'll waiting for the vaccine, and the vaccine's all you need." And while we certainly need to get the whole world vaccinated. The logistics of that are just so so huge. Whereas you could have distributed money just like they 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 do and have. You could have distributed money to you know businesses and 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 state entities, and they could have bought their own filtration or implemented their own filtration or hired contractors, whatever, however much. But that was very very achievable early on, and they just just chose to ignore that. Yeah, you know, it's really it's really heartbreaking.
0: No, absolutely. That's an excellent point. Look, the the U.S. response has been truly awful. Um, I'm actually reading from the New York Times. And when you talk about filtration and I talked about all the other the ways that we can we can mitigate the virus. Right. This is from the New York Times. The virus is killing Americans at far higher rates than people in other wealthy nations. That's from the New York Times. Right. Uh, The share of Americans who have been killed by the coronavirus is at least 63 percent higher than in any of these other large wealthy nations. So the U.S. response has been catastrophically bad. It's not just it's not the entire global response. We're focusing on the United States because it has been awful. And both ruling parties have been responsible for it. So it's shameful. It's shameful. It's criminal. It's, It's criminal. Hundreds of thousands of those nearly million deaths were preventable. Will anybody pay a price? These are crimes. This level of negligence of just saying, move on. Whoever gets sick gets sick. That is causing people to die. Passive... I'm Go sorry. Ahead. I've been Go calling on a passive
3: holocaust because that is what it is.
0: It is, it is, it is, it is, it's hideous. But nobody will pay the price for this. No. You know, the, the, the rich are, are, are pocketing trillions. The oligarchs are happy. Everybody wants to move past it when I say everyone i should, I, should, I should I should say everyone, but a majority of people want to move past it and i under- i understand the impulse uh, i i i wrote the other day when I was in a war that lasted for fifteen years. Of course, I wanted it to end. I wanted it to end, but I wouldn't walk out into a into a gun battle or just take throw all caution to the wind and walk in front of snipers towards even though I wanted it of course we want. The pandemic behind us anyway so let me go to you Th- thank you stephanie uh anthony you want to unmute have some thoughts
4: sure hello everybody um just a few thoughts and thanks for creating the space peter and having this talk when everybody seems to so many people seem to be um believing we we can move on because there's a new bigger news story uh, a couple of things i lost two family members um to COVID, my aunt, who was my mother's closest friend, and uh, and an uncle who lived in Florida. Uh, it was tragic. And my aunt actually went to a nursing rehab facility in New York where I live, like Peter, um, because she had uh, broken a bone and got COVID there because uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo sent COVID sick hospital patients into uh, into nursing homes, which infected staff and killed staff as well as patients, um, and he's never been held accountable for it. So that that's just like, you know, I'm looking a little bit at the policy aspect. Somebody, uh, maybe it was Jason, brought up the idea of Medicare for all. And a couple of things on why this is so important and why the, I, I'm, you know, very, very confidently say there is not one Democrat, AOC or anybody, who really gives a shit about us because they've been silent on this important fact over the past two years, almost silent. And that is the people, anybody can get sick of and die of anything, including the flu or COVID. You can be the healthiest person in the world. But by and large, the majority of people who get very seriously ill from COVID and die people with multiple comorbidities. And I'm not trying to be ableist. I'm just talking about the numbers here. If the United States had a single payer Medicare for all system, the number of comorbidities that people had would be far, far lower. Because people who go to the doctor tend to uh, be healthier. Um, They don't let their health problems go for decades. Um, Somebody who has hypertension and goes to a regularly has a doctor to go to is likely to get diagnosed and given a pill someone who's not is likely to be on dialysis 25 years later because their kidneys are shot because of their hypertension and they never had a medical intervention on it so you know the the number of people dead and i read one study which said that somewhere about a third of all COVID deaths were due to the fact in the united states were due to the fact that we didn't have um a a single payer universal health care system like Medicare for all um that to me what a lost you know first it just makes me sad and then it gets me angry and when i get angry that's when i tweet but it makes me sad to think that This country with all this, you know, we have all these resources. We've got such intelligent, smart people. We could have done this if there was ever a time to institute Medicare for all. It was the pandemic. And even though. Yeah.
0: Oh, sorry. Sorry. I just wanted to respond. That's an excellent point because. You know, it, 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 it raises a larger issue, Anthony, the issue of incrementalism and you know, what what can we do and what can we not do? And we have to settle for whatever little incremental steps that we get. And we should just be satisfied with those. You know, those of us who are. Um, who want to hold both ruling parties accountable, and that's all of us here, I, I believe. We just no longer think it's enough to say, oh you know, we'll cut child poverty in half, which, which, as I said earlier, wasn't even true, right? But these little on-the-margin tweaks to the system, you know, a few more people now have access to health insurance, access to Ooh. health insurance. Not everybody has free health care, but a few more have access to health insurance, and we're supposed to celebrate that. So this this notion that we're going to just keep Working around the edges of the system and maybe Republicans will do some heinous things and then Mm -hmm. Democrats will come in and roll back a few of these things, a few executive orders to roll back some of the worst stuff. But really, that's that whole ratchet effect. More white supremacism. More of the billionaire class hoarding resources and taking everything and we're just increasingly sort of tightening the screws on everybody else, and the way that's happening is through the sort of incremental system. But finish your point. I just, I just wanted to bring yeah, no, the no, broader issue
4: you, there. Your emphasis is really appreciated. And one, one thing I want to say is uh, Nicole is here, uh, and Nicole is a person uh, who had COVID and um, had to deal with the, you know, the the realities of our inhumane medical system. So I don't know if she wants to speak about this uh, in a little bit, but. Um one other piece i want to mention well you know when you talk about incrementalism i've been saying for a while you cannot incrementally crawl out of a burning building you just run the fuck out right and we didn't do that we could have we had the resources and we didn't do it one other thing and i know this is controversial but i do want to bring it up it really really upset me that we could not have discussions while covid was Thought uh, it's still it's still obviously uh, a huge issue, of course, but while it was in the front of the news every day, we weren't allowed to have discussions that strayed from whatever the narrative, the establishment narrative was. I mean, and I have to say, like, even even the, the people's reactions to um, Joe Rogan having guests on which challenged who were all doctors, by the way, who challenged the establishment narrative was real was censorship and it was it was gross because i'm an adult and i'm able to listen to different viewpoints um one particular thing and i want to throw it out was the horrendous reaction and response to the to the possibility that a drug a nobel prize winning drug like ivermectin an early treatment might show promise in treating covid we haven't established that it can, but we also haven't established that it couldn't. In fact, the National Institutes of Health on their website clearly say it deserves more study. Um, but-, but let me say, uh, if I
0: can stop you, Anthony, because I, I think this is an area where you and I diverge, and I absolutely get your point. My, my issue with somebody like Rogan, aside from the racism, which is egregious and disgusting, and Agreed. also with people, people like David Leonhardt at The New York Times, Leanna Wynn. Washington Post is that what they do, what they engage in is not, uh, f- from my standpoint, just healthy debate over issues, but it's really COVID denialism like climate denialism of some sort. It's basically minimizing what's happening. That to me is exceptionally dangerous. What, but I do, let me just say, I do agree with you that we should be able to have a, a grown up discussion about all these different things. But I just do want to make that point about yes. what,
4: where I think I'm the not- danger. I, you know, it's funny. I'm like, and I'm, I don't even listen to Rogan much, uh, except when people send me clips. I'm not defending him. And of course, his use of the N-word. Uh, I think everybody here would get that. White people never, ever, should ever even want to say it. So, like, I don't get that. But um, the fact that, uh, like, Do- Dr. Robert Malone was was kicked off of Twitter. And here's the thing. Like, people are allowed to have a view that challenges the establishment, especially when the establishment narrative on COVID has been changing month to month. For instance, the CDC now officially has said vaccines don't prevent transmission. They came out and said it. And, you know, so, you know, my thing is, let's, I just want to have discussions. And I'm also troubled by the fact that we haven't put the effort into early treatments that we did into the vaccines. Uh, I'm vaxxed, I'm fully vexed. I don't understand why, we can't also put that effort in. And I just want people to be able to have the discussion.
0: Yeah, no, um, I, I completely agree then. with you. Well, let's, and, well, and, yeah, and that's, okay. yeah, go ahead. Uh, finish your thought because I want to jump to Nicole if, if she actually well, yeah, has. Right.
4: And I'm yeah. just saying, like, I'm not advocating ivermectin because I, 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 I don't know that if it works, but the National Institutes of Health say it could or it might not. We don't know. But we do know this. It's actually human medicine. That has another use. And for people to understand, repurposing medicines has a value in that you already know the medicine is fairly safe and effective to do one thing. It's better to see if that can help with the current issue than to develop a brand new one, which we don't know what the effects are. So and, I think, a, and I think that's a fair point.
0: That's a completely fair point. Look, as, 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 as grownups, as adults, as responsible people who care about one another, we can discuss all these various things. I, I think the problem that has happened with this virus is so much sort of political and, and, uh, and financial focus that we've, we've lost the focus on public health and on the victims. I will remember these nearly million people all my life. We can't just move on there's, there's something that seems deeply, deeply, deeply troubling about, oh, it's, it's, you know, that's why, again, I titled this Remember COVID. Thousands of people are still dying. And on that note, you know, Nicole, uh, we don't know one another, but uh, uh, Anthony recommended that I invite you. Go ahead. Would you like to?
5: Sure. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead.
5: Uh, okay. Yeah, thank you, for, um, thank you for this space and this dialogue that you're all having. I think it's really important that we're doing this. Um, what An- Anthony was referring to earlier, so the irony, in early January 2020, I had attended a lot of different films with the Sundance Film Festival. I think that's probably where I contracted COVID. Now, we didn't think it was here in the United States at that time yet. So when I had it, I thought I just had a really bad flu. Now, I happened to be working at that time at a functional health practitioner. The irony being it was a small business. They couldn't afford to offer me insurance. So at that point, I wasn't insured. I did end up getting unbelievably sick um, to the point that one night uh, I had to sit up in a recline, like sit up to breathe. I was up all night trying to catch my breath. It got to the point where I couldn't even get up to get my cell phone to call an ambulance because I think I would have, uh, ran out of breath and passed out. I have asthma as well. So, um, it was, it was really terrifying. And I thought, you know, it, it wasn't funny. It was, it was awful, but I'm like, Oh, I get why 22,000 people or more a year die from the flu. Um, but, (laughs) You know, I even once I got through the night and, and I was able to kind of get up and move around a little bit, I still didn't call an ambulance because I was still struggling with financially at that point. And I just, I didn't know what my health costs would be. I didn't want to go to the hospital and end up being stuck in financial debt for the rest of my life. So, you know, I, I went to the functional health place, got a bunch of supplements and it might sound, people might not understand that. Like, why wouldn't you call an ambulance? Why wouldn't you do this? This is your life. But what I would say is, and I think people who are so pro Medicare for all, single payer uh, probably understand this. When you have family members that have gone bankrupt because of their cancer treatment, when you have people who don't seek out medical help because they they don't have insurance, you know, I've spent the last 20 years of my life off and on sporadically going to the doctor. I go when I have health insurance and and I don't when I don't have it. I have, you know, I've dealt with depression. I've dealt with asthma for the last 20 years. So it's, you know, you know, so many people, I think like me, we try to find those ways that we can get through managing our issues and our symptoms when we don't have access to pay for our medicines. I take right now because I have a job that that's got really good insurance. Um, I have a daily steroidal inhaler. If I didn't have insurance, it would cost me close to $400 per inhaler. It's outrageous. Healthcare so,
0: costs. Uh, it's, it's, there are very few words to find to describe this healthcare system in this country, and you're absolutely right. People will avoid getting care because of the costs. You know, as, as as a self-employed person, my whole life pretty much, I was a musician and then a consultant and then a writer, and so I've had years with health insurance, years without, and even when I do, and you know, it's still the costs are are prohibitive, and, and 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 I think about. You know, when I haven't had health insurance, uh, an ER visit can rack you up tens of thousands of dollars of costs. An ambulance trip is two, three, four thousand dollars. I mean, people who, who, who scoff at Medicare for all do not realize what, how people struggle in this health care system. But, but go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt, but you're, it's such an important point.
5: Oh no! You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And so many people are doing this on a daily basis. So many people were doing this before COVID hit. So to me, and I think so many people here. I know Jason um, with p- political. I, there's so few people that I would ever support um, running as as Democrats for for Congress or the Senate. Jason Call is absolutely one of them. He walks the walks. He is an activist. I see him out going helping people, not just in his community, in his state. I have so much admiration for him that I think is the short term solution is that we are, we try to help each other. You know, I've had people, I literally had somebody mail me from another state, some inhalers cause I was out and I couldn't afford to get any um, wow. a couple of years ago. So there's some really wonderful mutual aid going on, but Honestly, it's such a moral failing. Jeff Bezos has a $500 million yacht that he's having them tear down a bridge to move. And we have Americans dying every single day. There is absolutely no excuse
0: its is, it. it is. It, you're, no you're, you're so right. It is, is, is repugnant. It, it, it shocks the conscience, this level of inequality. And by the way, I agree about Jason. Jason and I are friends We work together. Um, he's the real deal. Uh, I
2: appreciate I appreciate that very much, Nicole. Thank you. Oh
0: absolutely. So um let me do this. Um let me just jump to 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 some callers. Nicole, thank you for for joining and and and, and and it's great to meet you. Um and at any point, uh Josh, Jason, Anthony, Stephanie, Leela technically can't do it because we're in the same room and it'll start creating an, an echo uh feedback loop. So that's the only reason Leela's not contributing next time we'll we'll use uh, headphones and she'll participate. Um but um anybody who wants to jump in just unmute and talk, right? This is like a free and open conversation.
6: Um what I wanted to bring up is something that like this might be old news, but back in the, the twenty twenty presidential campaign, Marianne brought that up when they asked her about healthcare and I, I'm a big Marianne fan, always have been um for a while, especially on this app. Um but something that she talked about when they asked her about healthcare she was like well, you can have Medicare for all, right? But that's not going to address the fact that so many people have underlying conditions in the United States more so than other countries because when you look at like the reasons why those underlying conditions are there, it boils down to drug policy, food policy, environmental policy, chemical policy. And those are all things that we are so much more lax when it comes to that um, than other countries at least. And it I don't know, it just kind of baffles me that like we'll talk about like, okay, we'll make sure that everybody can get their triple heart uh, bypass surgery. Um, But why do they need that surgery to begin with? And we don't really talk about that because it doesn't, like, make money to eat healthy, I guess. Um, And a lot of people can't afford to eat healthy. So I I think that, like, those are some problems that we should be talking about. Not saying that, like, we shouldn't have Medicare for All because we should. But, like, we we always just go, like, surface level when it comes to these issues and I don't know, I guess it's just something that needs to be talked about in a little bit broader sense. Well, if I,
2: Mason, if I could address that for uh, just a second, uh, the, the biggest um, part about Medicare for All, other than the fact that we, uh, you know, eliminate the immediate financial costs so that people can go, is the fact that people can go get preventive care. You know, here in this country, people don't go to the doctor Forever and ever and ever, and you're you're a diabetic, and you're you're rationing your insulin, or you're having other um, uh, systems that are stemming from untreated diabetes. You know, I have I have a friend whose father ended up having to have his feet amputated because he just didn't go and didn't go and didn't go because he didn't have the sure insurance. Um, and so, there's a lot of problems that stem from from diabetes uh, if you don't get the right treatments at the right time um, that end up being you know much more severe than they would if you just had, you know, your basic care when you need it. And there's tons, tons of medical conditions that are just like that, that they're very treatable, um, you know, if they are treated when they need to be treated, but you let them get out of hand, and that's what happens in this country. And then things become much, much more expensive. And that's one of the things that the Congressional Budget Office report really talked about was the access to preventive care. And that is something that people like I, I, you know, I grew up in England, uh, we had the National Health Service. We'd go see a doctor whenever we whenever we needed to. You know, you don't have to, you, you know, I, I remember when I was eight years old and I cut my finger badly, um, reached into a knife drawer, uh, and my mom just rushed me off to the doctor. There wasn't any, um, you know, and they bandaged me up. They stitched me up. And, you know, there wasn't any worry that I was going to get an infection or, or, you know, had I damaged my finger really badly that I was going to need surgery. There wasn't any worry. Just went and you got it treated. And then, things can get uh, back to healing and that's what we're missing in this country so much. So I wanted to say that, I mean, you're right about, uh, you know, all the other things we need better food and systems in this country. Um, but you know, the, the the preventive care for Medicare for all is really um, the biggest health safety.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point.
2: Josh, Josh, you looked like you were going to
0: jump in for a second. I don't know if you had a thought.
1: But... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the question and I appreciate Mason. Uh, helping me discover that there's a live chat here. So that's cool. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, but yeah, everything Mason said and Jason said. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing to me is that it uh, they seem to go hand-in-hand hand to me, you know? Like, a country that is investing in people's health uh, is going to do preventative care, is going to do Medicare for All, but is also going to, like, give a shit about the food people eat. You know, I think the big picture is that the people running the show right now, don't give a shit about any of that. They don't care about if there's toxins in the foods that we're eating. Um, you know, they don't care about if there's toxins in, like, the rivers that uh, that run by our houses or whatever, you know. Um, so I think it's, it's a either leaders specifically or a different way of running the show. Um, either way, I, I think a society that's um, where we could actually get Medicare for All passed, which isn't the society we're living in right now, um, is a society that would that would care more about uh, what's in our food and um, you know our working conditions, not getting you know injured on the job. Like I, so. Anyway, I, I agree with both you and I think it's a, there's a kind of holistic. Um, I think Peter mentioned something earlier about just this, uh, yeah, just a societal change that I think uh, links these things.
0: Yeah, and you know, Josh, it's uh, early on in the pandemic. I think we all felt this in in March of 2020 and April. It seemed like the whole world held its breath and something really profound was going to change. And it was terrifying, right? But this is before we racked up millions of deaths. It was very early and it really felt like maybe we'd recognized we needed to take care of people. And unfortunately, you know, capitalism and money reared its ugly head and it all became about just making money again. Stephanie, you want to jump in? Yeah,
3: just quick question to add on to that is what's going to happen now with all these people that have long covid who don't have health insurance. You know, everybody's right. We you know, people already have all these comorbidities and now we're adding to it. Yeah. I, I'm terrified to see what's how this is going to play out moving down the road.
0: Yeah, people have called long covid a mass disabling event. It yeah, is, and it, uh, yeah,
3: Yeah, absolutely. It is brain damage. I mean, brain damage there people are like trying to call it brain fog it is brain damage in a large portion of these people it's it's terrifying
0: who knows the damage it's doing to children who knows the damage it's doing to adults and I keep coming back to the immune compromised and disabled and vulnerable populations which you know this is a country that is now acting and I say at, at the leadership level that they just don't exist and they're expendable and they're disposable Mason thanks for the question can I jump to the to the next caller yep thanks for having Thank you. Go ahead. Can you unmute? Just have to hit, yeah. There you are.
7: Uh, Okay, so everybody can hear me? Yes. Okay, so um, just before I start in the future, uh, I'm going to say I go by uh, Jan. I'm (laughs) half-ingaren, so I'm used to getting my name pronounced like (laughs) 24-7. I
0: I was going to say Janos, but okay,
7: Jan, that's great. Yep, yep. It's cool. I I really do appreciate the effort to pronounce it. But anyways, um uh, I also uh want to really thank uh Peter for creating the space uh n- just so we can like talk about COVID because I I think like one of the things is like we have in order to get the system to change, especially since COVID is exposing the con that I think is capitalism, is that we need to keep this fresh in people's minds. Like back when the the Middle Ages was uh, sort of ending in a manner of speaking over in Europe, like people were refusing to keep the bubonic plague out of their minds, in my opinion, which was also a little bit easier for them to do because the plague uh, showed up around uh, once every 10 or so years after uh, 1349 when we hear about the big bubonic plague breakout. And I think we need to do that and create the, and we need to create the system so that we don't get anything as crazy as this again. And that's where we need to like start working on not only the public health, but we also need to worry, worry about like public infrastructure. I think somebody mentioned here about ventilation stuff. We need to do that, or we're going to get mm, cholera, but worse probably. And also, uh, I I just have to think like as a bit of a, a bit of a question, I. I know I I know that this is a bit controversial, but we kind of all saw Spotify go down today. And of course, there's been a lot of traffic around uh, Joe Rogan, whether that's good or bad traffic. I'd rather not talk about it too much. I don't listen to the guy. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, but but I have to think, like, do does anybody think that it's a coincidence that everybody's talking about, like, whatever Joe Rogan's takes are on COVID and Spotify tried to keep him on a little bit. And then suddenly today they all go boom down
0: um i i haven't heard of it i mean i'll try to answer the question i have not heard i didn't i didn't know what happened today and what the circumstances were look here's the thing you raise um a larger question about and thank you for your question thanks for your comment. Uh, I appreciate you being here the The larger issue of conspiracies actually it's a it's a good question because you know there's a fine line between being having healthy suspicion about our government. Um, and big tech, et cetera, and big powers and oligarchs, et cetera, and, 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 and huge corporations that know every single piece of information about us. And I think it's very healthy to be skeptical about them. And it's difficult to walk the line between what becomes just conspiracy theories and what's really just really watching out for yourself and knowing that there are a lot of powers out there that are playing all sorts of games. Anyway, I thank you, I thank you for the question, um, Kusha, It looks like you tried to um, connect again. Let's let's try this out again. Jan, thank you for your, for your
8: for your comment. Go ahead, Kusha. Hello, Peter. Are you able to hear me now?
0: Now I can hear you. Yes. Hello. Yes.
8: Okay. Great. Well, so I, okay. So I wanted to resume by speaking about how Josh uh, shared on his Twitter uh, what I learned about Jazz Brizak, um a labor organizer at Starbucks, University of Oxford Road scholar. And I think it's very important to recognize the amazing work she's done by taking that leadership role. And I think, uh, I haven't heard it yet during this conversation, but I think it's important to come back to the fact that today is International Women's Day. And this is a historic moment as a result of left-wing labor activism, left-wing organizing by German um, political activist and labor leader, Clara Zetkin. Uh, she was the one who founded this commemorative day. And furthermore, she's definitely an example of you all were talking about incrementalism. She was not satisfied with incrementalism whatsoever. Uh, she fought with every breath in her body, always to improve the material reality to as best as possible. Of course, um, you know, fighting for the best world possible means um, that people like Rosa Luxemburg, one of her dear friends, w- was killed by the fascists of Waldemar Pops. Of Nazi, I mean, of the preceding era before Nazi Germany, those years before that. And my mom was one who was very active on International Women's Day. On, uh, 43 years ago, this day, she was in Iran protesting against the Islamic Republic of Iran. Um, they had only consolidated power for one month. That's when they started to enforce sexual apartheid, apartheid through the Islamic veil. And my mom and tens of others, of brave and resilient women, they protested against it, the Islam Republic. And secular apartheid um, symbolized by the veil. And uh, many were stabbed. My mom saw it firsthand. Uh, Many women were stabbed. The Basij and Islamic Revolutionary Guard came in there and started attacking women. And some men who were showing solidarity with the women chained themselves up to the women so there would be a layer of human defense. And I think it's very important to analyze as well on this day. And I'd love to hear the analysis of all of you through um, this point of uh, International Women's Day and you could analyze it however you want uh, through the lens of COVID, through the lens of war, but I think it's also something that should be very much uh, embraced today because yeah, that, it, again, that's a, as a result of left wing activism.
0: Yeah, thank you. Th- thank you for raising it. It's an important point. I mean, I, I do like to stay on topic, and I and I, I thank you for suggesting that we we find a nexus. Um, to today's conversation. Although it's just on its own, it's an important topic, so I appreciate you raising it. Sure. You know, I, the nexus I'll find others may want to weigh in um, that it's always the case um, that that women, especially uh, women of color in the healthcare system, always get the raw end, always have the worst outcomes, are always ignored. Their pain is ignored. Their suffering is ignored. You know, Leela, who is my wife, a woman of color herself, I, I can see firsthand, this is anecdotal, of course, how she's treated in the healthcare system, how her conditions are ignored um, by by some doctors compared to me, who you know I'm Lebanese, but I'm a white presenting male, and I have that privilege, of course, when I when I get get treatment. So within the healthcare system, I think. So if we're trying to bring it back to COVID, of of the dis sort of disproportionate um, treatment. Of of women and specifically women of color. So let me jump to to Walter. Walter, you are a supporter of of, of Direct Dow, and I um, and I appreciate that. You want to unmute and be nice to meet you. Speak for the first time. You just have to hit that button on the lower right and just to, to unmute yourself. Here we go. Sorry about that. I was hitting it too. No problem. Uh, just full disclosure. I actually have
9: brain damage. I heard it mentioned. I have a condition known as a normal pressure hydrocephalus. Um, <clears throat> but circling back to the original topic, uh, one thing that concerns me is the horrible fighting that is developing amongst people who consider themselves leftists. But when someone is unvaccinated, you know, they look at them with disdain, do everything they can to pile on. And while all the adults in my household have been vaccinated, one of my children was not. He's an adult. Wound up uh, in almost an intensive care. Uh, He was on 50 liters of oxygen for several days, and it was ugly. Uh, And based on the responses I'm seeing from people, I should ostracize him. But of course, that's ridiculous. I don't blame people for having their doubts about for-profit pharmaceutical companies or our health insurance companies because they're capitalists and and underpinning everything they stand for is the notion of uh, wealth and worth if you don't have one you you don't have the other so we have a mentality in this country that was built upon the you know one of the colonial groups the protestants and so we have this notion of deserve that uh, you know, when somebody doesn't agree with us, and again, I'm seeing it more and more on the left, or people that claim to be on the left, they're they're completely uh, going to disregard any voice on certain issues that don't align with their own. And I'm wondering how folks think we ought to combat that, because I think we have to.
0: That's a, that's that's a great point, and and thanks for being here, and for sharing. Your experiences, your firsthand experiences. Look, so the way I, I navigate it to answer your question, I'm, I would love others to weigh in. The way I navigate these divisions, look, there are always going to be different points of view. Um, if somebody approaches me in good faith and says I disagree with you, I will in, entertain that endlessly. And if I find that I'm wrong, I'll apologize. I've been, you know, well known to have evolved publicly in my views. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, right? And I'll say it. If somebody comes at me and questions my integrity, and my intentions to do good uh, somewhere like a platform like Twitter, I'll block them immediately. I just don't have time. And I don't think any of you have time for people to question our fundamental dignity and integrity and our desire to do good in this world. Right? So, so Walter, the, you know, the issue of the splits on the vaccines goes back to the point we were discussing earlier that, that Anthony was raising. We need to be able to have disagreements. We need to be able to explore different avenues of thought We need to listen to different experts and entertain, you know, devil's advocate approach to really question and challenge our own beliefs. But the process of doing that should not involve assailing someone's fundamental integrity and morals and values. So when people come into my comments and question, not my integrity, but the integrity of those who comment, who follow me, who interact, that really bothers me. It bothers me that we can't have these disagreements without people questioning one's, you know, fundamental principles. I know all of you here are principled people. You mean to, to do good in the world. And some of you may not agree with me. Some of you may not agree with one another. So anyway, it's it's an important point, Walter. And these divisions that are happening on on, on among leftists, I don't want to just say on the left because the left is too broad a term. Among leftists, very deeply painful. But damn, if you're going to come at me and question my integrity, I'm blocking your ass right away. Anyway, anybody else want to jump in?
2: well i w- I would say, if you don 't mind for just a second, I would say that um, while I agree um, with what was just said about things that are happening on the left i I am um, a part of democratic party spaces, and it is much, much worse in the liberal democratic party they the establishment of the democratic party um, you know the people who are real tied to the dNC they hate the left and they will they will trash us in any way they possibly can Uh, because they they know they can't, they know they can't attack us on policy. um, And so they go after really nasty things like character assassination. And I think, I think those of us who consider ourselves leftists are for the most part, much better than that. I just wanted to comment.
0: No, that's it. Yes. I look, I love my leftist community. And I know we're going to have disagreements. Um, In the end, I think, What's important to me about this space and what I'm trying to do with the with a, with a, with a newsletter and inviting you all here and talking to you all is to form a small group of friends who support one another. Maybe this group will grow. Um, hopefully it will. But, you know, I have a, a large following. I reach a lot of people. But to me, what's most important is a tight knit group of people who support one another. These conversations I value so much. Stephanie, you wanted to say something?
3: I just wanted to say that I thought it was really unfair what, you know, some people have said to you, because I I remember very clearly your transition. And I want to thank you for not letting them shut you up and not, you know, you said, why am I on this platform? And I know we all have those moments, but thank you for being here and and for everything you're doing. And, you know, blocking those people is the right way to go. Yeah, I appreciate that. you definitely the real deal.
0: Yeah, no, I re- I really appreciate that. Look, I, I say that, but I've been doing this for now more than two decades. I started in the early forums uh, arguing with right-wingers on places like Free Republic and Democratic Underground. I don't think any of you, well, Jason, you may remember, I don't know, Anthony, you may, the rest of you are younger, but um, those were the early days of chat rooms and message boards. I have been fighting with people online over politics for twenty something years, and I have very thick skin and it's really not about me. look, my focus is when i when I talk about disabled and vulnerable people and, and immune compromised and children and 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 older adults and and those who suffer and struggle look our focus has to be on those who need our help right What is the purpose of being on this earth if we're not here to help one another and to take care of those who need us and that's 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 the solidarity our solidarity is with those. Who are out there fighting the good fight, who are, who are putting their bodies on the line to defend those who need defending, to protect those who need protecting, to give voice to those who need a voice given to them, who, are, who have been silenced, right? That's all we're doing here. That's all we're trying to do, all of us. And, and I really appreciate all of you. So uh, if there are any other comments, uh, go ahead. Otherwise, we're going to wrap. i like to keep these things tight to about an hour or so. Um, I really thank each and every one of you. You're all, I consider you all friends. Um, and uh, I appreciate that you come and become part of this conversation every Tuesday. Maybe we'll add some more days, um, but go ahead. Anybody want has has to, there, there's no one? one
2: more caller waiting to to speak.
0: Walter. Yeah. Walter, do you want to uh, have a final thought? Do you want to unmute? You can hit the lower right hand button. Yeah, go ahead. You want it to wrap up?
9: <laughs>
0: yeah. Just, you know,
9: know that um, there are organizations out there dedicated to making a difference. We have the March for Medicare for All, to which I provide some legal support. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, if we try genuinely to understand another person's perspective, we ultimately build something more than just a passing relationship. We, we turn those into friendships. And that's where Acting together, acting as a small core group, uh, can really shine a light on problems and, and help folks, you know, get through what we're going through. I've got a grandchild
0: summoning me. But, <laughs> yeah,
4: <laughs> well, well, I, but,
9: yeah
0: uh, let's yeah. work together, and we can change things. We can, Walter, and I, I, I appreciate you, and I, I, I want to say I appreciate your, your support for the project. You've been there very, very early on. Yes, exactly. Our job, look. We we need to help one another, and you know I consider myself extremely fortunate in this world. If I can go out there and, and, and help and make a difference in this world, that's why you know Stephanie when you, you know when I said I, I take the heat whatever I'm fine. There are a lot of people out there suffering and struggling, and if there if I can make one iota of a difference in their life, I've lived a good life, and I know that you all feel the same as well. Each one of you, every single one of you listening, and participating. You are simply trying to make this world just a little bit better than when you came into it. And you are, and you are, and you all deserve applause and you deserve, um, you know, love and support for what we're trying to do. And I certainly feel that appreciation for each of you. Well, on that note, I'm going to wrap and we'll be here next Tuesday unless something uh, comes up, but um, thank you all. Thank you all so much for coming. And we're going to wrap this up. I'll well, take care. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Bye everyone.